Change is not easy, and the changes we've been going through lately are definitely not easy. So how do we handle change? How do we handle the anxiety that comes with change, especially unexpected change or unwanted change? Well, those are questions we hope to answer for you over the next two programs here on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Today, if you'll join us, we'll take a look at the anxiety that comes with the change that you and I find ourselves in the middle of as we work our way through this coronavirus pandemic and what it means to shelter in place and quarantine away from everybody. How do we handle this from God's perspective? Let's talk about that. Here's Pastor Steve with today's program. These are interesting times that we're now living in. As we watch across America and the world, everything rapidly changing before our very eyes. I don't know about you, but I'm not a person who enjoys change in general. It causes me to be disrupted in my daily routine of ministry and life. It can become a source of tension, worry, even anxiety for some people. Worry has been described as this, a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Worry and anxiety especially can easily become that kind of deep channel, especially when we're faced with major changes in the way we live, in the way we carry out our daily lives. Well, today I would like to confront head-on the anxiety, the worry that many of us may be experiencing during this national and world crisis. To do that, I want to look into God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, holy word. And so if you could, in your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. This morning's message is entitled, Dealing with Anxiety Biblically. Dealing with Anxiety Biblically. Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. You can follow along as I read this for us. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as a small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, 
which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. As we read that text, it's amazing how ironic that truth resonates in are perhaps the most affluent, indulged, and comfortable society there ever was. But it's also one of the most stressed out, one of the most worried, one of the most anxious-ridden societies as well. It seems today that no worry goes unnamed, undefined, uncatalogued, undiagnosed, or unmedicated. But worries merely go unrelieved. It is frightening to believe one is trapped in this universe to be nothing more than the chance product of blind, unguided, random, purposeless process of evolution. The thought there is that there's no one home in the universe results in a sense of cosmic alienation, loneliness, angst. The anxiety that results takes many forms to which humanistic psychology today gives labels to labels such as obsessive compulsive disorder, panic disorder, post-traumatic stress syndrome, social anxiety disorder, general anxiety disorder. And you throw in all the phobias that people have such as fear of heights and enclosed places and fear of spiders and snakes and mice. Anxiety literally affects millions of people, and treating it is big business. The best the world can hope for in superficially dealing with anxiety is to manage it and mask its impact. The Lord Jesus Christ, however, offers a radically different solution to anxiety. He simply promises to eliminate it. In this passage that we just read, Jesus forbids worrying or anxiety concerning either the material world or the spiritual. Let's look at a little background here. Jesus wants his followers to be free from worry. He wants them to be free from anxiety. That's very clear. He says so much in verse 22. He says, therefore, to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, he's just been speaking to the crowd about the dangers of greed, about the dangers of living for this world without any view toward eternity. As a matter of fact, the preceding parable about the folly of the rich fool's greed is intimately connected with this text, and it deals with worry. See, greed says that it can never get enough. 
Worry or anxiety is afraid it may not have enough. Worry is, or, or, an anxi- or anxiety, is the emotional reward of material preoccupation. See, he speaks to his disciples here who were perhaps feeling a little anxious about whether they would have enough to live on. They just walked away from everything they owned to follow Jesus. Jesus understood that worry about the things of life could undo a, a, spiritual's, a, a, a disciple's spiritual ministry. Undo even his life. He shows them that anxiety is opposed to biblical truth. That as followers of Christ, we are called to trust in God, who lovingly cares for his own. He prohibits worry about the physical needs of life in verse 22, when he told his disciples, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear. But then in verse 32, he declared that those who believe in his name have nothing to fear in the spiritual realm. So he addresses the physical realm in verse 22, and then in verse 32, he addresses the spiritual realm. That's where he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Lord also, by the way, spoke about worry and anxiety in the Sermon on the Mount in several places. So this was a frequent theme in his teaching. Worry basically comes from two things. It stems from two things. It stems from ignorance on the one hand, but also unbelief. Many Christians needlessly worry because They don't understand the depths of the revelation of God's word when it talks about God's gracious love and care for them. But there's also people who are Christians who understand God's nature. They understand God's promises. Yet they fall into worry and anxiety anyway. See, to be needlessly ignorant, that's one form of sin. But to knowingly distrust God's special revelation to us in Scripture is even greater sin. Now, you have to remember, those who chose to be on the road with Jesus necessarily lived on the edge in respect to their food, their clothing. See, if a disciple worried about breakfast, and then when breakfast was provided, thought, whew, glad that's over with, but where's the lunch going to come from? That disciple would soon become neutralized. They would become spiritually ineffective. See, there's a broad application of this truth to all would-be disciples of Jesus in today's culture. Because modern culture is neurotic about food, about drink, about clothing. We see that in the midst of this pandemic that we're experiencing. People storming the storefronts, loading up on toilet paper and Milk and bread and emptying the shelves, literally. Modern culture addresses worries we didn't even know we had. Worries that have a tendency to neutralize our discipleship. But Jesus clearly commands us not to worry about life. He says in verse 23, life is more than food, the body more than clothes. So you have to be able to reject the popular view of life the worldly view of life that claims we are just bodies, simple bodies that need to be fed, watered and clothed and serviced. It really puts us on the same level as plants and animals. And it it reduces God to some divine Santa Claus that's just there to meet our needs. Life is more than a good meal or a new outfit. And it's certainly more 
than worrying about those things. He also shows that to go to the other extreme and pursue riches is at odds with seeking God's kingdom. So in this text, Jesus is simply teaching us to deal with anxiety biblically. We must trust in the God who cares for us and seek his kingdom above our own needs. Do you remember when that song came out? Don't worry, be happy. I love that song. It was such a positive song. But it had really no basis for such advice other than blind optimism. But see, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we can sing that song with meaning. We know we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious because we can trust God, our creator. That's far from blind optimism because it's based solidly on the nature, the character of God and many of his promises to us. And so first of all here, the first point I want to cover with you, and there's four subpoints under this first one. The first one is found in, in Luke 12. And I think we need to look and understand this. To deal with anxiety biblically, we must trust in the God who cares for us. The God who cares for us. The old King James Version in verse 22 translates anxiety, take no thought. And so a lot of times people would read that verse in the old King James and they say, oh, that means we don't have to have any uh, mental effort or time or energy in providing for our future needs. They would say, you don't have to save, save up for the future. Uh, you don't have to buy insurance. You shouldn't be concerned with any matters of money at all. Just, just trust God and he'll provide. But really that thought in the original language, those words, take no thought, it's the word for anxiety. It's the word for worry. The Lord wasn't encouraging a, a lazy, who cares attitude about our lives. In fact, Scripture enjoins us to pay attention to our lives financially and other ways. In Proverbs 27, he mentions that. See, while God provides for the birds... He doesn't just, I've never seen a bird just sitting in a nest and God just drops a worm into it as its beak opens. It doesn't happen that way. They have to exert some effort to obtain the worms that God has provided. And the Greek word here basically has the meaning of being divided. It's the same word that's used when Jesus rebukes Martha in Luke chapter 10, verse 41 and 42, where he says, you are worried, you are bothered. That's the word about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. So here Jesus is speaking against inordinate, consuming, distracting anxiousness and worry. And by the way, it's in the, the present imperative form in the original language. It's a verb, and it basically indicates that absence of worry is to continually characterize those who are followers of Christ. That should be a characteristic in a Christian's life, that we are not prone to worry. Well, you might ask why. <laughs> well, Jesus gives us four reasons here why we should not be anxious. Look at the first one in verses 22 and 23. We should not be anxious because the core of life concerns the soul, not the body. He says life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus is saying that the key thing in life is not things. 
And Jesus is not just talking about little trinkets, non-essentials, but rather he's really addressing the necessary things of life, food and clothing. We all need those. But even these things are not the key things in life. What is the key thing in life? The key thing in life is being rightly related to your creator, God. See, if your soul is rightly related to God, then he's going to take care of your body, as Jesus goes on to point out. But on the other hand, if you have a well-fed body and a nicely clothed body, but you are alienated from God, you're missing the main thing in life. So in effect, Jesus is saying, if you want to be anxious, be anxious about the most important matter in life. And that's not food and clothing. What is the most important matter in life, you ask? I would say it's your eternal soul. That should be your main concern. If someone says, yeah, but I'm going to starve to death (laughs) if I'm not concerned about eating and concerned about food. Well, Jesus replies this, but where will your soul spend eternity? You might say, but I'll freeze to death because I don't have any clothes. Yes, but after you die, then you'll be too hot (laughs) if you're not rightly related to God. See, don't be anxious because the core of life concerns the soul, not the body. Well, the second point here, Jesus says we should not be anxious because God cares for us more than he cares for the ravens whose needs he meets. Verse 24. So to illustrate his point that God will care for his people, Jesus uses the illustration of birds. He, he urged his hearers to consider the ravens. Now, he uses birds quite a bit in his illustrations. He did so in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verse 26. He chose to use birds as an example of God's care for his, for his creatures. And Christ's hearers, the disciples, were very familiar with birds. In addition to many native birds that they have in Israel... They're also bounded on the east by barren desert and on the west by the Mediterranean Sea. And, and Israel is literally a, a major highway for birds. And hundreds of millions of birds seasonally pass through Israel each year. But it mentions here specifically ravens. Now, these were birds that were despised. They were known as unclean. And they're also incapable of generating their own food supply because they don't sow or reap Um, This is, by the way, the only New Testament reference to such a bird as ravens. So unlike humans and some animals, like the ants, they don't store up food for the long term. It says that they don't have a storeroom, they don't have a barn. Well, how do they survive? They survive solely because God has designed and made available the food they require to exist. Some think that Jesus mentions ravens because they were unclean birds. And so that his argument is kind of like this. If God cares for the lowest of these scavengers, won't he meet your needs? When Jesus mentions that the the ravens neither sow nor reap nor store up their food, he does not apply that to mankind. He doesn't say that we shouldn't labor for our food. It shouldn't that we shouldn't store up provisions for the future. Because God's word clearly establishes that work, labor, is a means by which we provide for our families and for ourselves. Rather, he's contrasting the lowly raven with the rich fool in the parable just before that I mentioned previously. This man was 
wrongly focused on storing up plenty for the future. But he stupidly ignored God. When it came to God, he looked the other way. And by way of contrast, the raven gets along just fine without all of the rich fool's anxiety about the future. Why? Because God cares for the ravens. And then Jesus uses almost an understatement to say, how much more valuable are you than the birds? I mean, when you think about it, if God takes care of the birds, he's definitely going to take care of us. Because human beings are, are really the peak, the apex of God's creation. Why? Because we're made in God's image. We're made in God's likeness. I mean, is it not reasonable to assume that if God cares for a lonely scavenger raven, that he will care for his own people? especially those who are in his own flock. So the next time you see a raven, think about God's care for those birds. I guarantee you'll never see a starving raven. Even in the the barren desert, somehow they find plenty to eat. God makes provision. So banish your worry, banish your anxiety, as you realize that God cares far more about you than he does about the ravens. You can trust him to provide. Well, thirdly, we should not be anxious because it doesn't do any good. It just doesn't do any good. He says in verse 25, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? What does Jesus do here? He's pointing out the futility of worry, the futility of anxiety. It never changes anything. It never changes reality. I mean, if you worry, if you have anxiety about something, the outcome is the same, whether you have anxiety or not. A lot of times, actually, the outcome is worse. Why? Because it takes a toll on your health. Your stomach starts to hurt. You get an ulcer. Pretty soon you're going to the doctor. You have all kinds of things going wrong. You're stressed out, high blood pressure. Jesus says that anxiety and worry won't add any years to your life. You can't add any time to your life by worrying about it. There was a study done, and it was estimated that 40% of our anxiety, of our worries, are about things that never happen. 40%. We're worrying about things that are never going to happen. 30% of our anxiety and our worries concern things that are in our past that can't be relived. They can't be changed anyway. And then 12% of our worries or our anxiety are needless worries about our health. There's just nothing to it. 10% are petty, miscellaneous worries and anxieties, and only 8% deal with legitimate issues. Only 8%. It's not wrong to think about things that we can do something about, something that we can change, but it is futile to consume our thoughts and our time and our energy with matters that we can't change. Someone has observed that we need to distinguish the difference between problems and facts of life. See, problems are matters that we can do something about. We can fix a problem. But the facts of life are just that. They're facts of life. We can't change. And so we have to learn to live with them. But in either case, worry isn't productive. And it runs counter to having our faith placed firmly in God. Even when we follow Jesus faithfully, unexpected storms will always be around. But 
we do serve the author and finisher of our faith and all that we know and see that is tangibly in front of us, the God of this universe. Well, we are out of time today. We'll close out our program here and remind you that, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us either through our website or by simply giving us a call here at Graceful Truth. The easiest way to get in touch with us would, of course, be through our website, gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. Always reach out to us by phone if you wish at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also download our app. Simply Google Grace Bible Church Redwood City or Follow the link off of our website, gracefultruth.org. As these are uncertain times, and we find ourselves wondering just what kind of freedoms to expect tomorrow, we would invite you to visit our website, gracefultruth.org. It's there that you'll be able to learn about the updates when we will get together as a congregation here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, and what we'll be doing in the meantime. Again, you'll find that information at gracefultruth.org or gracebibleonline.org. Either one of those websites will provide you with the added resources to continue to feed your soul during these challenging times. And in the meantime, would you continue to pray, not only for us, but other churches here in the Bay Area, and pray that we would find ourselves in every opportunity giving an answer for the hope that lies within us in these seemingly hopeless times. Thank you again for spending time with us here on Graceful Truth. And until next week, God bless.